0: The message that I'm going to give you today is on the life of Moses, uh, and it really resonated in my heart as I studied and prepared and wrote him, and as what I saw was that God's fingerprints were all over Moses from the time that he was born, from the very time that he was born, and really, it's the same for you and me. You see, God's fingerprints are in your life. All the things that you've gone through, all the examples that you've gone through, the ups and the downs, because you've committed yourself to God, God is directing it. He is painting the picture of your life. And you will see it as we study the life of Moses. And so this is a new sermon series that I'm doing, and it's going to be focused on the Hebrew people. As they come out of Egypt and spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and God kept them in the wilderness for 40 years teaching them innumerable uh, things, but one of the things that God had to teach them was that they had spent 400 years in Egypt, and as a result they had really become a pagan people. They did not know who Jehovah was. They did not really have an appreciation of the great patriarchs, the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God knew that he would take them out, but he would bring them through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he would teach them, he would mold them, he would create them. Uh, and I want to say to you is that that's exactly what God does with us. As we go through the wilderness experience, and I would say the last couple of months would constitute a wilderness experience for many of us, God is teaching us. He is, he is asking us to submit to him, to bow before his throne, to get the ego out of our lives and to give it all to him. So, as we study the life of Moses in this first message, one of the things that you realize is that when a man embraces faith, his old life is affected. A faith that does not influence a man's life is not really faith. You understand that? If you don't have the kind of faith that actually directs and leads your life and causes change in your life, well, that's not really faith. Uh, And so we see what happens as Moses comes to faith. And it's a, a poignant lesson indeed. Moses is one of the very great men of faith in the entire Old Testament. He is the dominant individual character in the Old Testament. Uh, and he's one of the most dominant human beings in all of human history. Deuteronomy verse 34, chapter 34, verse 10 says this about Moses, and there has not arisen a prophet in Israel. Like Moses, who the Lord knew face to face. Can you imagine? God knew face to face. He spoke directly to God. And so we know that God anointed Moses for this position from the very time of his birth. Uh, and we see that, if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 1, uh, beginning with, with uh, verse 20. So God, and this is, this is the Hebrew people under captivity in Egypt, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw him into the Nile but let the girls live. Can you imagine how the perpetuation of evil takes place? You see it time and time again. You saw that at the manger with Jesus Christ. Evil predominates, and that's what it was here. And Pharaoh is the representative of evil. And so here we see that every infant boy born during this time had to be drowned. And yet his family would not allow this boy would be left like that. They raised him in secret for three months until they could no longer do it. And then they made a basket and put pitch in it uh, and knew that the Pharaoh's uh, sister would periodically be down in a certain area of the Nile bathing and so they waited and they put that baby in that basket and floated it down knowing that she would pick it up and she didn't back pick it up. I want you to understand, this is God. Yeah. This is God you think this happens by accident this is god and so she finds this this baby and she embraces this baby and she takes him into the house of pharaoh and she proceeds to raise this baby as her own and so moses spent 40 years in the house of pharaoh in egypt thinking he was a somebody uh, and he was, because he had the greatest education that you could have. He was educated in mathematics, and in literature, and in, ling- uh, in all the various languages. Uh, he had the finest education that you could possibly have. Uh, and and we recognize that during those 40 years, uh, we can see that he is absolutely Uh, educated on the Egyptian culture and the Mediterranean Basin. He knew everything about Egypt and about those countries that surrounded Egypt. He was incredibly well educated and I want to say something to you now. Uh, Many of you are grandparents and I know many of you are concerned about the education that your grandchildren are getting. Some of you uh, are sorrowful that your kids are not going to a religious school. And let me say this to you. God raised Moses through a secular education. A secular education. Uh, and I want you to understand that God can use this secular education to prepare us for a greater call to God. I saw that as an example in the life of my son who had a first-rate secular education. Frankly, it's the same with me. I never went to a religious school, but, but the religion that I had was poured into me in the house of my mother and father. You see, that's really where education takes place. And so God can use the secular authorities to raise up and to educate and to prepare. And that's what this is about. This is the fingerprints of God on Moses. And so at this time, Moses would have been in Egypt, and Egypt would have been the most powerful country in the world. And and if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 21. At the time Moses was born... He was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Powerful in speech and action. What an incredible understanding that God had as he selected this man, even when this man didn't know who God was. And so there he was, the very adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he would have gold around his neck and jewelry around his wrist, the epitome of the highest Egyptian personage that you could see. And so at the age of 40, Moses had everything but a personal faith in the God of his fathers. He knew he was a Jew. He knew he was Hebrew, but he didn't know what that meant. He didn't know what the God of the Hebrew people was about. And so God intended to teach him that in a very powerful way. And so at some point, Moses sought to identify with the Hebrew people. He knew that he had a a Hebrew background. And so as he did this... He began to see injustice he saw the Hebrew people being beaten and downtrodden uh, and it would break his heart he couldn't believe that this could happen to his people and so uh, if you turn to Acts 7 verse 23 we see what happens next when Moses was 40 years old he decided to visit his fellow Israelites he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers, why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, which is out in the desert, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And so you see this. That there he goes, He, he decided to take matters into his own hands. And that's one of the key points of this message. I would say to you, whatever you do, don't ever take matters into your own hands. God has called us as a special people and so within the kingdom of God before you make any decision bow before the throne of God and ask for wisdom ask him to speak to your heart Lord what do you want me to do what do you want me to say where do you want me to go father I want to wait upon you so that you will speak because in my lifetime I could say this the only thing worse than not asking for the wisdom of God in your life is wishing that you did wishing that you did Uh, and so you see this here he thought this would be great he thought he would be appreciated he thought they would 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 look at him and raise him up and say we needed a leader and instead they repudiate him because it was not within the time of God because Moses was not ready to serve God Moses was still being a somebody and the only thing that God can do is to take a somebody and turn him into a nobody. You understand? Because when God turns us into a nobody and we bow before his throne, when the personal aspect of our life, where the ego of our life comes out and instead we say, Father, I'm yours. I'll go and say what you want. That's only when God can use us. We can't do anything on our own unless we bow before the throne of God. Can I get an amen, church? Let's understand this. And so this really is the the picture of the modern man. We see it in our culture. That's people that call themselves today uh, Christians that they may want to identify with Christ, and yet they don't want to give up the privileges that the world gives them. They want to put one foot in the world, and one foot in church and you can't do that you can't do that you can't put one foot in the world and one foot in church and jesus was very clear about this about the demands of the christian life and this is critical for us to understand this turn to matthew chapter 20 verse 25 jesus speaking to his disciples here he said jesus called them together and said you know that the rulers of the gentiles it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's, that's the marching orders of Jesus for us. You want to be within the will of God? Then you have to learn to be a servant. You have to learn to be a slave. You have to learn to bow down and lead people and do it in love. And and do everything that you can to lift them up. And so that's what God wants. It's about servanthood. It's not about self. It's not about ego. It's about saying, God, I want to be your servant. I want to go and do what you want me to do in every way. And so now he's out in the desert. He's a fugitive. He cannot go back because they want to kill him. And this is because he decided to take things into his own hand. And so Moses will spend the next 40 years in the desert finding out that he was a nobody. Now let's understand something. When he left Egypt as a fugitive, he was 40 years old. He will then spend the next 40 years in the desert tending goats and sheep. So let me ask you something. That's, does that sound like a postgraduate education? <laughs> what do you think? You think if you were out there with Moses saying, This is good, Moses, this is good, someday you're going to be one of the most important people in the Bible. Just keep tending those goats, just keep tending those sheep. Can you imagine what that was like? for this man, but God had a plan, you understand? God had a plan, just as he has a plan for you in your life, as his fingerprints are all over you, because as he does these things, where he leads you places you didn't think you would be, when he closes doors for you that you cannot believe were closed, when he allows you to be repudiated or persecuted by people, he is there behind the scenes orchestrating everything because he loves you, because you're a child of God. And that's what's going on here with Moses in every way. And so I believe that as God took him out of Egypt and let him spend 40 years in the desert becoming a nobody, losing the ego, and I believe, honestly, I believe that God was allowing him to repent of the Egyptian that he killed. Look, we can't minimize this. He killed the man, all right? He killed the man. And so don't you think that that stood stood on his heart, that he needed to repent? And I want you to realize how that's important, how God uses these issues in our life uh, and causes us to reflect on the nature of repentance. And I believe that's part of the desert experience. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 51. Because in this Psalm, you will see David repenting to God for, for the sins that he committed in killing Uriah the Hittite and starting an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Now David is shut down for more than a year. He can't write any Psalms. And so now he is begging God to forgive him. And I want you to see what he says here. Uh, in Psalm 51 verse 1 have mercy on me O God according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin I submit to you that that's what Moses was saying out there in the desert as he was reflecting what had happened to his life to go from the very highs of of the kingdom of Pharaoh to now tending sheep And goats, and I believe that. Verse 6 Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost places. And then in verse 10, and I think this is the issue, even out there in the desert Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, that's how we are children of God. When we know we've made a mistake. When we know we've broken the heart of God. When we're out there in the desert and God is dealing with us and teaching us. We reflect on what we do when we bow and ask God to forgive us. That's the nature of what God wants us to do, and it's so important that we recognize this. And so Moses learned out there in the desert that the privileges, and pleasures that men place so much importance on, so much importance, can disappear in a moment. You know, one day you're at the top of the world. You're, You're someone who is greatly respected by everybody, and then suddenly the rug can come out. Who knows how these things happen, and your power and influence are gone. His access to nobility, to wealth, uh, and a pampered life had vanished overnight. We can't possibly imagine what this was like for this man. His self-esteem that came with all the trappings of the Kingdom of Egypt was seriously deflated. Uh, And so Moses had to go out into the desert and Moses had to learn about what it means to be committed, what it means to have true contentment. Uh, And this change of events in his life must have been a truly humbling experience. And I want you to reflect, this is not like a couple of months. This is 40 years, you understand? I was 40 years old, I was smart, I had all my wits, I had all my talents, and now look at me. I'm 80, can any of you identify with this? <laughs> this is a message for this church, all right? This is a message for this church. He didn't use him when he was 40. He didn't use him when he was 50. He didn't use him when he was 60. He had to grind him and remove all of the ego out of his life until finally that sponge was ready to be used by God. You understand this? Yeah. And the same is true with you, church. So many of us say, oh, I'm too old, I'm too old, I can't be used anymore, I can't even find my car. (laughs) How am I going to be used by God? And I want to assure you, God has a purpose for you. Every single one of you, I don't care if you're 80, I don't care if you're 90, I don't care if you're 100. God has a call and a purpose on your life. Amen. Uh, and I want you to understand this. He planted Moses in the desert so that Moses would lose the ego. He would come to understand that everything was from God, all right, uh, all that all the juice that was in that sponge would be squeezed out until finally he would be left with nothing but an ability to serve God. And I'm going to tell you something. I want you to turn to Jeremiah 29, because this this passage came heavily on my mind uh, this week. Uh, And and really, it, it relates to us as well. It relates to us as well. Because let's face it, these are hard times. All right, you're isolated in your home. Many of you I haven't seen for months. And I understand it. We've been locked down in our houses. But I want to say something to you. God is freeing you. God is protecting you. And God is calling you. To serve him. And I really believe that that you're going to have opportunities as we go forward in the coming months to serve God in ways that you never thought were possible. And I don't care whether you're 80 or 90 or 100. Because God doesn't care. So I want you to see what God says to the Jewish people as they stood in captivity in Babylon. And they've been taken out of Israel by King Nebuchadnezzar, by force. And so there they are in Babylon, alright? And they are sitting there, and so now God delivers a message to them. And look at the message that God says. This is what the Lord says And Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to you to bring you back to this place, meaning Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come. And pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carry you into exile. Oh, Lord, be merciful for us. And that's the promise that God makes to you. That's what he makes to you. And he made that promise, really, to Moses. And so there he was, out in the desert, the goat shepherd. The sheep shepherd out there where no one really knew him. And then finally, finally, he comes and has the face-to-face experience with God. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flocks to the far side of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, and I'll do it in the best Ten Commandment movie from (laughs) Cecil B. Mills. Moses, Moses. Can you see it? And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out, because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. How's that? How's that? For the goat herd, for the shepherd, 40 years in the desert. God speaking him directly. Now go. what I love about this passage is that God hears the cry of his people. How many times have you said, does God really hear me? I'm hurting. I'm down. Lord, I need your help. And you think that God is not hearing, but he hears. He hears. And in some way, he's got a plan for your life that he's not answering you right away. And we bow as we understand it. But he hears because he has better things for you. I know the plans I have for you. I have great plans for you. And that's what he's saying to every single one of you in this church. He's got great plans. And so we have to understand this clearly. But, But now you see Moses. This is not the Moses at the age of 40, the talented man, full of self esteem and confidence, who would go down there and interfere with a fight. No, this is a different Moses now. This is a different Moses. This is a Moses that says in verse 11, but God said, but Moses said, let me get it straight here. But Moses said to God, who am I? This is not the 40 year old Moses. He wouldn't have said that. But who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I've been tending goats and sheep for 40 years. I'm 80 years old. Who am I? But here's what God is saying to each and every one of you. The question is not, who are you? The question is, who's going with you? You understand? Who is going with you? You're not going alone. When he sends you, you're going with God himself. And that's the thing. When he calls you, he's sending you, uh, he's sending you with him. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I love that. You're going to bring them out, and then you're going to bring them back right here. And when you bring them right here, this is the mountain that you're going to worship them on. Uh, And so... It's so powerful when you see this going on. And so here it is, Moses being told by God you're going back. And Moses is saying, I can't do it. I'm not any good. I'm old. I can't even speak right. All right? I don't send me. Send somebody else. Uh, and, and so as you look, at, look at this. It's like Moses having a debate with God. I mean, really, he's having a debate with God. Can you imagine? Is he saying there? In verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What a question. What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said, and I'll repeat the voice from Cecil B. DeMille. You tell them, I am Who I am. (coughs) I am who I am. I sit outside of time. I sit outside of eternity. I was there at the beginning. I will be there at the end. I am. I am who I am. That's who's sending you. That's who's sending you. Uh, And so Moses hears this. Uh, and is really astonished at that, uh, and and so he still really he still has doubts. He still has doubts, and God tells him to take your staff and to use that staff because that will staff will be used uh, to uh, as a way to tell the people of 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 Egypt, who you are, and that staff will be used to be powerful. And then he says he still has issues. You see, Moses, he still has issues. He's not really, truly ready to go yet. Sound like us? God, Father, I know you want me to do this. I know you want me to do this ministry. I know you want me to go and speak to this person. But you know what? I still have some problems. You know? And I have to say, really, some of us who were involved in the establishment of this church, that the only way that this church was established was that God intervened and we may have been thrown out of other churches. You understand? Really. If you want to understand the hand of God, you want to understand the hand of God, that's the hand of God. That's the hand of God. Make no mistake about it. God doesn't make mistakes. When he calls, he calls. All right? And you may not like the call. Oh, I'm old. Oh, I'm infirm. Oh, I can't think that clearly. Oh, I can't speak that well. And what does he say? That's all right. You're going to take Aaron, your brother. He's going to speak for you. I'm going to tell him what has to be said And he will speak for you. What a powerful picture this is. As the fingerprints of God are all over the life of this man. This should be the greatest reassurance that you could have today. Going through such difficult times. To know that God has your life in his hands. And just like he had the life of Moses in his hand, He has your life as well. He's calling you to serve in the kingdom. You've pledged your life. You've committed yourself and now bow in obedience. Bow in obedience and prosper where he's planted you. Be where he has planted you, even if it's in the desert, because you're not going to be in the desert forever. You will not be in the desert forever, for a time. And then he will call you out. And what a magnificent picture this is as Moses goes back even to the point when he says, I'm afraid to go back, and God says, don't worry, everybody that wanted to kill you has died. How's that? You like that? Does that sound like something you might need to hear? I can't go back. I can't go back because they hate me. Don't worry about it. They're all dead. They're all dead. They're all dead. You see how much God intervenes? In our lives, when He calls us, what a tremendous picture this man! who goes back, who will challenge Pharaoh, who will be there as the plagues come down on the house of Pharaoh, and finally, as the Passover comes by and the angel of death comes by, and every firstborn in the house of Egypt will be destroyed and killed, until finally he will take two million people out of Egypt into the wilderness, and he will do this for 40 years. He will lead this group. And this is not an easy group to lead. <laughs> I once said, trying to find an analogy of what it would be like to lead uh, two million Hebrew people that have been in one place for 400 years. The best metaphor I could give would be, imagine taking two million Manhattanites. All right? People who have their own ways, their own ideas, their own personalities. You know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in the New York, New Jersey area, you understand what I'm talking about. This is not an easy group to lead. And and sure enough, he gets shortly out of Egypt they begin a revolt. They begin a revolt. And they go back to worshiping pagans because, you see, they were a pagan people. I don't want you to think that this group of Hebrews that are coming out are holy people, ready to worship God. No! They spent 400 years in Egypt becoming pagans. And that's why God is going to take them 40 years until they understand who God is. Just like God took 40 years To teach the story to Moses. And so the question for you today is this. God has called you. He has called you. He's called you to this church. He's called you to ministry. God wants you to step out. He doesn't want you to sit there in your house, in your sofa, and sit back and say, I'm too old. I'm too sick. I can't speak right. I don't know how to interact with people. God says he doesn't care about who you think you are. The question is who will go with you? He will go with you. He will be with you. He will raise you up. He will lift you up. And he will bring you to places that you never thought you could go. I know the plans I have for you. Great plants. That's our God. That's our God. And He said that to the, the Jewish people in captivity in Babylon. And now here we are. Here we are. How much more even today? And so this is the same God that called Moses. The same God that called Moses. And He calls us today. He calls us to be disciples. He calls us to step out for the Lord. He calls us to reach out to a lost world in every possible way. To tell the people who are lost who our God is. And that we walk with our God. And it's not within ourselves. It's not with our own talents and our gifts. But we bow before his throne. And we're confident. We are confident that just as he is with Moses, he will be with you. He will walk with you. He will make you special. He will do things with you that you never thought were possible. Amen, church? Amen. Let's let's bow our heads as we put this sermon before the throne of God. Father, I thank you for the words you have given us, Lord. I ask you that they resonate in our heart, that we continue to reflect on this great man that you used, Father, but that you only used him after you removed every part of the self and the ego, that the man who was 40 years old who thought he was a somebody, had to be reduced by the desert at the age of 80 to a nobody, and that once he was a nobody, you could use him. And so, Father, I ask you that you anoint our minds through the Holy Spirit and give us the wisdom to recognize this about ourselves as we commit ourselves, Father, as we commit our church to walking with you, to advancing the kingdom of God, In every possible way, Lord, bless our people. Protect them this week. Be with them until they come back and continue this worship of you, Father, in every possible way. We bow before your throne. And we ask you all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.